Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, good morning, C4. Wow. Good morning, C4. There we go. Good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning. Hi to, again, our online audience, wherever you might be today. We're really glad you're joining us uh, this morning. I think one of the places where we sin the most in our culture is in the car. Wouldn't you agree? Your laughter tells me I'm a prophet and I'm telling the truth. It's interesting. We, we have lots of problems in our culture with cars. We are people that are on the move. We're intense. We're intentional. We have things to do. And if you're at least in my age and stage with young children, your schedule is unbelievably full. One of the worst experiences I think we have that we can all relate to if you are a driver is this. You're on the move. You're in your car. You turn the corner. And there it is in front of you. The student driver. You know what I'm talking about? You turn the corner and there's that light and they, there are only two reactions we tend to have as older drivers. And none of them, by the way, are compassion and mercy. Either we mock them in the car or we seek their destruction and there's nothing in between. And, and you know it's true because when they're driving, you're like, can you just please move on? You see the stop sign coming and your heart sinks. It's three and a half miles and they're already slowing down. You're like, oh God, give me patience. And they're slowing. Then they come to the stop sign and they stop and you're like, and... And, oh, blinker, yes, go. Finally, they turn, and then they turn the way you're going, and then they start parallel parking, and you swear, but you don't really, right? Yeah. And, like, it's intense when we do this. Now, the problem is, for us who've been driving for a long time, we should have a lot of mercy for these students. Because that was us. Young drivers of Canada was my experience. And we should remember one thing very quickly. What they are actually learning may save our life in the future. What they are doing is they're learning the basics of how to drive because if there is one place we all interact in culture, it's on roads. I thought about that image and that experience, so simple, so bothersome sometimes, and yet it struck me as I end this series. Our culture and our Christian walk looks like the hurried driver. On the move. No time for patience. No mercy. No, it's just we've got to get somewhere. And yet, the picture that's painted in Scripture about discipleship looks very much like that student driver. Methodical. Long term. Someone is sitting in the seat beside us who can actually intervene and move us if needed. We look like the impatient one. Scripture says discipleship looks like the 16-year-old learning how to drive. And yet, we don't look like that, and, and we should. It's like lots of us who have gardened over the last few weeks, well, between thunderstorms, right? And we go in our culture, well, I just want to plant it, and it will be done in the night. But we know it doesn't work that way. Gardening teaches us all, whether you do it intensely or not, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time. Today we gather one last time in this series called The Called to think about length, time, and faithfulness. Now it's been quite an amazing series. It's already been referenced today. In the last three weeks or four weeks, 
Three people have become Christians right in our services. 25 plus people have signed up for baptism and actually joined a, a large list already. Hundreds of people have, have picked up their summer reading. And according to Facebook, many of you have got the books and you've started reading. And 90 plus people have signed up for baptism. I mean, it, it's been a solid series. Last week we looked, or two weeks ago, we looked at the issue of power. As seen through the life of Jesus. We talked about being baptized by the Holy Spirit, at conversion, being filled time and time again by the Spirit, uh, asking God to give us his fruit of the Holy Spirit, and then the call to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we all learned last week and the week before that that is where the power of God is truly at work. The call and challenge for all of us to really know our spiritual gifts has been given, which is key to our coming people task. But today, just like that image I started with, we need to stop, and look at another side of the coin so we understand the issue of power. We need to have a spiritual conversation today about spiritual disciplines and how they relate to the issue of power. See, the truth is, all of us, if you're a Christian, serve out of our relationship with God. And spiritual disciplines are the vehicles that regularly place us in the presence of God to be changed, to hear God, to be convicted, to be empowered. But the problem is we live in a world and a culture at war with the calling God has given us to walk in humble power and live a life marked by godly discipline. And so we end up being the impatient driver and not the student driver, and we always end up in spiritual accidents. Now before I get specifically into spiritual disciplines, let me go back and remind all of us this morning and all watching and listening about the issue called the soul. It's something I preached on earlier last year, and I rarely do this, but I am going to recycle part of my message because I believe we need to rehear this again. This is what I said over a year ago. We live in a hurried world where things and performance and education and status are supposed to give us meaning. They're supposed to give us empowerment. They're supposed to give us rest. Yet when I look around and look at my life and your life, I see boredom growing more and more. Restless, twitchy, agitated, edgy, unsettled. These are now the emotive words that describe our culture. Why? Because we have decided to believe the lie that we actually do not have a soul. And for the many of us sitting here or watching or listening that believe we have a soul, we still live our life like we don't have one. Much of our current worldview has reduced our essence to the theory of the soul, a scientific only understanding of humans. And even as Christians, we rarely talk about the soul or soul care and spiritual disciplines. And suddenly and then sinfully, we look like everyone else in our culture, hurried, haggard, harassed, and hungry for more. But unlike the world disconnected from Jesus, I thought we all had spiritual life, right? I thought we had the Spirit of God. We, we know we're not just physical. We claim we're made in the image of God, and we've been restored to that image, and, and that we're just physical and spiritual. So the question we need to ask this morning is, what in the world has gone wrong in the church? The Bible speaks to this again and again. Did Jesus not cry out to a world that did not have intimate relationship with him yet? These words in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? And to the people that already had relationship with him, these are the words uttered in Deuteronomy 4.9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. Or here's one of the best verses. 
one of the grandest promises of Jesus ever uttered, yet most of us wonder quietly if it's truth or it's sham. A promise so profound, so life-changing, most of us, even as followers of Jesus, dare not, let me say this again, dare not reach out and touch it. Why? Simply because if it is not true, and we risk it, and it doesn't happen, we genuinely feel we will never recover in our faith. It is a word Jesus said that is so preached, so read, so devotionally quoted, yet so unbelieved by us. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will, notice that, I, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And so today we are going to end this series, Name the Called, looking at spiritual disciplines and the issue of rest and power. For when we understand the role of spiritual disciplines and power, then and only then will we find rest and see God work in grand power through us. If we are to really serve each other, we need to deal with the soul. We serve out of a relationship with God. And if we're not, hear this, if we are not working out of a growing, vibrant, deeply rooted, and right-oriented soul before and with God, then we will deeply struggle to do basic Christian community, let alone love a lost, enslaved, and blind world. And by the way, we're going to grow in our relationship with God when we feed our soul when we participate in the life Jesus had with the Father under the power of the Holy Spirit. As I've quoted probably five times in the last two years, the spiritual disciplines are guaranteed places of meeting between us and God only if we have relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only when we embrace the work of Jesus on the cross, that is Christ for us, then can we truly know that Christ is actually in us. Dallas Willard, in his phenomenal book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, wrote this. My central claim, he said, is this. We become like Jesus by doing one thing, following the overall lifestyle Jesus chose for himself. He said, what activities did Jesus practice if you just read the Gospels? Well, he says it's simple. Solitude, silence, prayer, Simple and sacrificial living, intensive study, meditation on God's word, God's ways, and serving others. Solitude, silence, prayer, simple living, intensive study, meditation, serving. Take the list. Look at your life for a moment. Does it even closely parallel Jesus? See, many of us got this wrong, and so we abandoned this. Spiritual disciplines or good works are vehicles given to connect and commune with God post-relationship. They are never the keys to get the relationship in the first place. The way you grow with your relationship with God, the way you tend your soul, the place where character is given, which undergirds real power, is through the spiritual disciplines. But we need to have a right understanding of the soul before we can even get to spiritual disciplines before we can get to the issue of power. Whether you know it or not this morning, what's running your life at this moment is your soul. In the most general sense, the Jewish phrase, the heart, the core of us, the place where our emotions and values and life itself comes from, that's the soul. 
Another way to put it is this. It is the immaterial part of us, the spiritual side of us. It is the life principle that makes us us. We're made up of three parts, by the way. Our spirit is our essence. It's what God comes into when Jesus moves into your heart. And then the soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, and then your body is your body. Now, we need to stop this morning and go quiet and hear the ancient words spoken and then ask God to answer them, maybe. How many times in this church have we sung or prayed these words right out of Scripture? Uh, Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I-, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 84, 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. These cries stem from the deepest part of us. It is us crying out for things like peace, presence, order, purpose, fulfillment. It is the cry of something that is missing among many of us. It is the cry for someone to finally have something called a well-kept heart. But as we will see, a well-kept heart is connected to doing basic spiritual disciplines and yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. As one wrote, the person, the Christian, with a well-kept heart is a person where the soul itself is properly ordered under God and it's in harmony with reality. The outcome will be, as we've said, a person who's prepared to capably respond to situations in life that are good, right, and godly. You will know this morning if your soul is not being fed by how you react to life. How you react to life is the gauge if you are actually walking closely with Christ. See, the truth is, it's like almost an unexpected sucker punch when you read this or hear this. We hear the above and the promises of Jesus and our faith, and then we're forced to ask the question, why? Why is this not the case for most of us? Why is it that we who know God and have relationship with God are not properly rooted in God? Why do so many of your and my insides, our souls, look ripped or broken or abused? Why does the landscape look actually like an untended garden full of weeds and full of angry animals? Why for us, especially as Christians, do our insides look like the environment of our culture and world, even though Jesus says you will be part of the world but not in it? Well, there's two major reasons. The first is brokenness, and the second is, and it's the truth, most of us do not regularly practice the disciplines. The first answer, as mentioned, is brokenness. We're all broken people, right? Right? We're all broken. We're broken because of sin. We're broken because of unfulfilled desires and dreams. We are broken because of poisonous relationships. We are broken, here's a big one, because lots of us sitting here or listening or watching, we've decided to believe lies. Sin, of course, is the root of the other three. And sin of all types and unfulfilled desires and dreams and broken relationships and believing lies makes much of the time us, in a, puts us in a very difficult position. We move away from soul care, what God has already said over us and what God has done in us and what God commands us to do. Instead of trusting God to forgive us or to heal us or to lead us to do something that is right and natural in the sense of soul care, this leads us in the opposite direction from soul care. Instead of practicing the very disciplines and activities Jesus did, we go somewhere else thinking that finally we're going to get the rest somewhere else. And we do it in this culture in one place. 
performance. One reflected where life meaning is lacking. Performance always is at a premium. Performance, whether in art or sport, for example, creates the illusion of meaning for one magical moment, if, of course, the performance is successful. Performance presumes an artificial context in which one little portion of life or action or experience suddenly becomes meaningful, unique. It's almost like the transcendent moving into ordinary experience. And then we go, oh, that one moment, it's the golden age you wish you could go back to. See, I had meaning there. I had purpose there when I was in high school and I was a football guy. Or I had purpose when I was a cheerleader. I had purpose when I got an education. Or I got pr- you can name it. That was the time that I had it and I've lost it. And Jesus comes to us as followers and says, why would you ever believe that your soul could find meaning in anything but me? Sinful acts and ego and dream and other people's views and lies and performance, all within themselves, some of them, like performance, are fine in context. But then we come back to the teaching of Jesus. We hear these words of our master who says to us, Crothers Creek, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I give rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, I am gentle, no one else is, you're not even gentle to yourself, but I am gentle, and by the way, I am humble too, you will find rest for your soul. Take means to lift up, take the cross upon you. My yoke, of course, is the key phrase. The Lord did not say, come to me and I will remove all yokes. A yoke, of course, is what animals have on them to be led in the right direction. Jesus promises our community rest, rest for the deepest part of us, but it requires that we take on his yoke. And if we don't, then we will be yoked by sin and lost dreams and broken relationships, dead religion and lies, even as Christians. The lie that we're independent is just that. It's a lie. Like I preached a year ago, you're always going to serve somebody or something. To find rest means to say yes to Jesus' yoke, which means learning, which means the lifelong process of seeing how Jesus lived, which in the end brings rest. It's about obeying Jesus, here it is, and following the disciplines he did. And then, like we learned a week ago or two weeks ago, depending on what service you were at, being empowered by the same Holy Spirit that came on him. One said we should remember the rest Jesus offers is not relaxation of the demands of God or right godly living, but a new relationship with God which makes it possible to fulfill the demands. It's not the removal of any yoke, but a new and kind yoke which makes our burden light. A yoke, by the way, implies obedience. Actually, it implies slavery, which, which all makes the difference if you know who you're serving. See, the beneficial effect of Jesus' yoke is derived from the character of Jesus. The promise for us today in 2011, in the middle of no matter where you're at, is this. You can have rest for your soul. Being yoked, though, is about obedience and living the life that Jesus did. Remember we learned these patterns in 1 John in that series we did so long ago called Friendship with God. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God, community. To obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. 
We already know and have just been taught that love for God is expressed by keeping his commands. And then thank God, though, John says the next thing. Because the next thing he says in 1 John 5, 4 is, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The point is this. When we became born again Christians, we were given the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus himself, who is the one who gives us the character of God. He gives us the power of the resurrection, even spiritual gifts. If you call upon the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to take on Jesus' yoke, he will do it every time. Because the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father and make us more like Jesus. I mean, that's all of two weeks ago's message. But it's not just about obedience or power. It's actually about doing the activities that place us in God's presence to be empowered or be filled up or be changed. In our Christian walk, God does not do everything for us. He does it salvation. But when we're walking with him, we also participate. It is a partnership thing. That is why we must first know the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And then, here's the key phrase, over time, like that young driver, begin to practice the disciplines that Jesus walked in. That's why Jesus' best friend wrote these words also in 1 John 2, 5. This is how you know you are in him. Whoever claims to live in Jesus must, here's the word, walk as Jesus did. The spiritual disciplines allow us to walk as Jesus did. The problem is, most of us don't have time for him. God is not McDonald's. God is not Starbucks. I'm sorry, it will not happen in 3.2 seconds. And the terrible thing we now face, the decision we have to make is this. If we want the power of God, if we want a long-suffering faith, if we want to be rooted in God, like that image from children's ministry, then we have to stop and make a decision. This is like Billy Graham, just as I am moment, but for Christians. Do you want rest? Then you will have to give up much to have it. The spiritual disciplines are the very actions that Jesus did to be close to the Father. Now let me just for a moment, on a very high level, tell you about some of them. I'm not going to tell you about all of them, but some of them. You can break spiritual disciplines into three groups if you're a note taker. Inward, outward, and together. Things you do inwardly, outward, and together. Now listen to this, please. The inward disciplines are things like study, Prayer, meditation, fasting. Here's an exciting one for our culture. Chastity. Study is when you intentionally start learning how to deal with scripture. Prayer is that interactive conversation with God. Meditation, by the way, is not some new age or Hinduistic or Buddhistic worldview inserted into our faith. Absolutely not. Christian meditation is prayerfully ruminating upon God's word and his world. It is not being emptied, it's being filled with Jesus. Fasting is when you voluntarily abstain from normal things like food to do spiritual activity. Chastity is a form of fasting. If you're married, it's actually taking time out from your sexual relationship to actually do spiritual activity. 
a new thing for our culture. The outward disciplines are different. The first one is simple living. Another one is service. Another one is solitude or silence. Solitude is that creation of an open, empty space in our life by purposely abstaining from interaction with other humans so we can be freed up from competing loyalties just to hang out with God for a while. Silence, which is even a more of a lost art among us, is this. It's closing off the sound, our souls from sound, noise, music, words, so we can actually better still the inner chatter and clatter of our noisy life, so we can actually be attentive to God and finally hear Him. The corporate disciplines, many of us do and don't even know they're disciplines. They're things like confession, fellowship, sacrifice, worship. Confession is when you share your sin and brokenness with God and trusted others so you get to experience healing. Fellowship is when we engage with, in other disciplines like worship, study, prayer, celebration, service, which brings us not only together but sustains us and gives us capacity to experience more of God. Sacrifice is deliberately forsaking, listen to this, deliberately forsaking the security of satisfying our own needs with our own resources in faith that God's going to sustain us. See, the point is, many of us in this church give, but many of us give without sacrificing. You know that you are serving or sacrificing when your service or your sacrifice affects your lifestyle. Can I say that again? You will know that you are serving or sacrificing if you're doing it with right motive, when it actually affects your lifestyle. If your service or your sacrifice, even monetarily, doesn't affect how you just live everyday life, it hasn't adjusted it, you're not really doing it. It doesn't matter how much or how little you give. It's not sacrifice then, it's crumb. And then there's worship. In word, in in music, in ritual, we come together and we worship God. By the way, some of these definitions are from a study Bible called the Spiritual Discipline Study Bible. Of course we have that in our culture. We have everything as a study Bible. But here's the point this morning. Those are just a few of the disciplines that Jesus himself participated in. Now all of this comes back to our people path as I end here. Beyond the first three key steps I've talked about, about meeting Jesus for the first time, or getting baptized, or committing to a local church, beyond us really committing to grow in our understanding of how to read scripture, or or to start growing to have a strong biblical and strengthening faith in theology, uh, beyond us really getting serious about knowing our spiritual gifts and the role of the Holy Spirit, to become a fully devoted follower, we need to know what the spiritual disciplines are, what they're not what their role is, and we need to begin to practice them. These, again, are not some type of New Age mystical connection. These are the very practices we see in Jesus and in John and Peter and Paul and many others. And those other than Jesus actually use this to keep growing in their faith, to see the born-again experience deepen, to move beyond a childlike faith to a deep, passionate, strong, long-suffering faith. We need this here desperately. So many times we as Christians, and it's genuine, it's not fake, it's not hypocritical, it's honest. We cry out, oh God, I want more of you, I want to know, I want a deeper walk, I want my children to know you, I want my marriage, if you're married, to be stronger. As a single person, I want my relationships to be more godly, and we pray this. 
But then we would never have the time for this. And sorry, Lord, my iPhone says I just don't have time. Let me speak to a group of us and then to another group of us, and I'll end this way. To you who gather with us today or online and you're not Christian, or you're Christians in name only, I just need to say to you this morning, A, you're welcome, and we're glad you're here. You're always welcome. But you never can have a conversation about peace or rest or ease for your soul until you choose to bend your knee to Jesus. He's the only one who can give peace. Doing good things or spiritual disciplines will never save you. They will never give you relationship with God. They will never connect you to the divine. They're only useful after you've met God through Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks directly to you through his word this morning and says, What good will it be for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul, he says. The only way you can get peace is to give your life to Jesus. Turn from your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you, to say yes to his yoke. He becomes Lord over your life. When you accept his work on the cross and you realize there's nothing you can do, then everything I've preached for over a month becomes applicable to you. After you've met Jesus, then baptism, then local church, then learning about scripture and spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are gifts or vehicles given to believers to already build on a relationship already there. The question he asks you this morning is, do you even want the relationship? Now for us who have the relationship this morning, it's actually probably even a more difficult conversation. Because what's being implied here is we actually need to say yes daily to Jesus' yoke and say no to other yokes, and get serious about spiritual disciplines. As followers of Jesus in 2011, we actually need to rehear the ancient wisdom that Augustine said 1,600 years ago. Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find rest in you. To us as Christians, Jesus comes and reminds us that his yoke, his word, his discipleship, his disciplines, his life is the only thing that will bring a deeply rooting, lasting peace. The question is, do you really want rest as a teenager? Do you really want rest as a young adult? Do you want to want rest as a career person? Do you want rest as a young parent? Do you want rest as, a, as an older baby boomer? Do you want rest as someone who's now in the winter of their life? If you want rest, real peace, then Jesus comes and says, you must, you must, you must accept my yoke, not the other things. As one wrote after thinking on Easter about Christmas and Christians, many of us who want a Savior who forgives us of our sins, but we desperately do not want a Lord that tells us how to live. We need to learn over time from Jesus that the life he lived with the Father and the Holy Spirit through gift and discipline is available to all of us. The question that is posed to us this morning is this. Would we actually give time to actually do this? Silence, for real. Solitude, for real. This, this takes self-leadership in a way that most of us probably aren't willing to do. But I end with these words. If you want to walk in the power that Jesus walked, if you want to do what Jesus said we could, that those who have faith in me will do greater things than I have even done, Jesus speaking, then like I said two weeks ago, you must know the power of the Holy Spirit. You must know what your spiritual gifts are, but you must start seriously doing spiritual disciplines. Why? Here it is. 1 Corinthians 13, read at every marriage. 
You can be the most gifted person even from heaven. But if your character isn't there, you're nothing but a hollow, banging instrument that no one wants to be around. Ever met someone like that at church? Anyone? When you do the spiritual disciplines, it forces you time and time again into the presence of God, which builds the character of God so you can use your gifts right. Jesus comes to our community and says, I want this church to be full of power. But to be full of power, you actually need to plug yourself into the power source, which takes time. I'm going to pray some prayers, and then we'll respond in communion. So why don't you join me here and join me wherever you are uh, today. So Lord, a few prayers. Number one, if you are not a Christian and you've just, at this moment, you're like, I want to follow, pray this. Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you back into my life. I believe you died for me. You're, you're risen. I've sinned terribly against you, myself, and others. And I just now ask, forgive me. Be my Savior and Lord. Give me a relationship I can't even earn. I ask this in Jesus' name. For you who are Christians here this morning, who are willing to engage Jesus in a lost art that maybe you used to do, or an art you've never done, Pray this prayer. I commit to learn from you, Jesus. So I take your yoke. I acknowledge that only through your word and walking in your spirit and, and doing disciplines you did, I can even find rest. And I, I need rest. I need peace. So I'm asking you to learn and teach me about spiritual disciplines over time. To give me life you had, Jesus. And do whatever you need to do. I just ask this in Jesus' name and, and really ask that in 12 months from now, um, though I'm going to mess up, my, my life actually would look more like Jesus. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Uh, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.carotherscreek.ca.